Amen. Hey, that's right. We're in World Religions, Colts and the Occult. Bobby, two weeks in a row. Jehovah's Witnesses, you're right, number nine. And as you turn to that exciting page that we're on, whatever it is, uh, we're going to do a recap. Hey, we've already seen where to come from. This guy named Charles Taze Russell. Then it went to Judge Rutherford, who really wasn't even a judge. Then it went to the Watchtower Society. Uh, then we began to take a look at their beliefs in general. And boy, I tell you what. It's all messed up, with all due respect. And then we began to look at their different cult beliefs. And, uh, and we see with the cults, uh, various ones have various unique uh, aspects about them. Uh, that <clears throat> My theory is that's how they draw uh, attention to themselves. Well, look at us. We're more spiritual. Look at us. We're the only ones who do this. Look at us. We're like, well, whatever. And we already saw that, again, we're going to see it again, Lord willing, tonight. They have a perverted version of the cross, not just unbiblical. They say that Jesus died on a stake. They don't celebrate birthdays. They don't touch Christmas. They don't, uh, aren't active in the military. They don't do blood transfusions. And they've got to say only Jehovah. And so we saw there's not even a J in the Hebrew. So even you get it wrong, even if that were true. And it's not. God uses multiple names. Now, why do they do that? Well, that's where we're going to finish up Lord willing tonight on this aspect. It's because they fit the classifications of a cult. Now, we already saw it's because why they get so many things wrong. Their source of authority is wrong. They are listening to men, man, themselves, a group of men, okay, instead of what the Bible has to say. And then we saw last time they took their source of authority and basically made it up. They took a copy of the Bible, uh, not even a really good one because it came from a Catholic uh, guy who was using demons to interpret it, okay, as we saw last time, and they made their uh, translation with the New World uh, Translation. And it's not a translation, it's a perversion, it's a hack job. Take, they took their ideas, took the Bible, and then began to hack, chop, hack, chop, 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 hack, take out, delete, insert, all that stuff. That's not a translation, that's a perversion. And that's not how you rightly interpret the Word of God. Okay, well, they get the authority wrong, that's why it's so wrong. Well, guess what? Everything goes downhill from there. And we saw last time, certainly they get the nature of God, the understanding of the Trinity wrong. And again, even their thing that we left off last time with Jehovah, and that was all wrong as well. Now, let's continue on. Guess what? Five signs of a cult. Source is wrong. Everything goes downhill. You get the nature of God wrong, the Trinity wrong. Guess who else you get wrong? You get Jesus wrong. Shocker. And let's take a look at that. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus is God's only direct creation. Notice creation, a created a being, they believe. That everything else, not all things, everything else was created by means of Christ. And that the initial unassisted act of creation uniquely identifies Jesus as God's only begotten son. Wait a second. This is, again, we saw last time, one of the classic passages of many, okay, that they take completely, not just out of context, they insert and change words to fit their ideas. Does the Bible say that Jesus created all other things? No. Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Let's see what the Bible actually says about just this simple one truth about Jesus, okay? Who is he? Colossians chapter 1, and uh, we'll read verses 15 through 20, and uh, I don't know how you get any clearer than this, okay? And it's not because they uh, couldn't get it right. Uh, this one's a pretty simple passage to understand. It's because they didn't want it to say what it says because of their preconceived ideas. Again, that's not how you interpret the Bible. But Colossians chapter 1, uh, talking about the supremacy of Jesus Christ, right? Verse 15. Here's what it is. Now, clearly, I, the, everybody knows you're talking about Jesus in this passage. You want to say he, Jesus, is what? He is the in, image of the invisible God. So what's that basically saying? You want to see God? Who do you look at? Jesus. This is a deity passage. All right? And uh, it says, the firstborn over all creation. So here's what they want to mess with, that word there, firstborn. 
occurs elsewhere in the scripture. It's simply prototakos. It literally means preeminent one. In fact, let me get that up there on the board. It just means preeminent uh, one, okay, is what it means. It not, doesn't mean first as in time, first as in he was the firstborn, like, you know, my sister was the firstborn of my parents. That's not at all what it's talking about. It simply means prototakos. It means preeminent one. Now, why is he saying that? So, you know, that Jesus, he's the image of the invisible God, the preeminent one over all creation. Why is he the preeminent one? Well, keep reading, because he's the one who's responsible for all creation. Of course he's above and beyond it all. Of course he's the preeminent one. He's the one who did it, right? And that's what they want to twist there. For by him, Jesus, all other things? No, and see, that's a classic example of what they did with their New World Translation. They insert words that are not even there to fit their preconceived ideas, to twist the scripture. And he is the creator of all things, okay? Uh, for by him all things were created, and listen, in case you doubt, all means all, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. How many things? All things, not all other things, were created by him, Jesus, and for him. Listen, he is what? He's before all things. So how can he be this, their version of firstborn, as in time? No, he's before all things. He's the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, right? He's always been, okay? He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the preeminent firstborn from among the dead. Why is he the preeminent one among the dead? Because nobody rose from the dead like Jesus did, right? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that in everything he might be, uh, have the what? Supremacy. For God was pleased to have what? All his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Now, notice right there, how many times have we seen the word all? All things, all things, everything, all, all, all. It never once says all other things. That is a hack job with the Jehovah's Witnesses, and that's not how you interpret the scripture. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So again, they get that wrong. Why? Because they got their source of authority wrong. They're not following the scripture. They're following men. They took the scripture and they twisted it, chopped it, hacked it to make it fit these men. That's what you got going on. That's why they get uh, basically everything wrong. Now, it goes on to say, we dealt with this before, but they believe that Jesus, again, is a created being. But listen, in stages of existence. Now listen to this twisting. Number one, they believe that Jesus is uh, is the Archangel Michael, or what John calls the word. No, 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 what it means. And I'm not going to go into that because we had a whole study just dealing with the differences between the Archangel Michael biblically and Jesus biblically. There's no way they can be the same in one entity. Right? But listen to this. It, goes, it gets even worse. Then they say he entered into a different stage. So they say Jesus started out as the Archangel Michael. Then he turned into Jesus, the perfect man, and became the Messiah at his baptism. What? Now, you got that one wrong. We'll get to that in just a little bit, too. But then again, listen to this. It doesn't say that. It goes on. It says, now, step three, after his spiritual, notice it's not a physical resurrection. We'll get to that, too. They got that wrong, right? That he became Michael again. That's your blank there, Michael, again, but he retains the name Jesus. What? First, yeah, why doesn't it make sense, Ruth? Why? Because you're getting out of the Scripture. The Scripture makes sense if you leave it alone. Anytime it's like, oh, what, who, right? God didn't make things difficult in the scripture. He wants us to know. He wants us to understand. And anytime you come across them, they go, wait a second, that doesn't make sense in this and that and that country. That's a sign that man's involved. Man's 
tampering with the word of God. And that's what they did. Okay, and do unfortunate. Then they say Jesus served as a redeemer and a ransom sacrifice to pay for the sins of uh, mankind. They believe Jesus died on a single upright torture stake rather than on a traditional cross. They also believe that references in the Bible to the uh, archangel Michael, uh, Apollyon, and the word all refer to Jesus. So, so where do you even start with that one? First of all, let's deal with that issue of Apollyon, right? Let me understand, <laughs> let me show you what in the world's going on there. Apollyon. Uh, Abaddon or Apollyon, it refers to the passage in Revelation chapter 9, and it says, They had as a king over them the angel of the abyss, Abusas, the pit, right, in the Greek, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon and Greek Apollyon, right? That's what the verse says. Now, in the Hebrew, Abaddon means place of destruction. In the Greek, Apollyon means the destroyer. So the same thing, just Hebrew and Greek, okay? Two different tiles means the same thing. Now, Revelation 8 and 9, what are you dealing with? The trumpet judgments, number one. Okay, and that puts you into the second half of the seven-year tribulation, right? So the whole timing, uh, it, there's an issue there too, number one. But when he blows this trumpet, the fifth trumpet is what's going on here. The, this is the judgment. The abyss, a great smoking pit, opens up. A horde of demonic hosts rises up out of that. They're given power to torture people who take the mark of the beast, who are not sealed with the seal of God, okay? And it's so bad that they want to die, but God does not allow them to die. It's a horrible, horrible judgment time that's going on there. So the question is, that's Jesus? No. Now, there's a debate. Some people would say that this is referring to Satan. I don't necessarily buy into that camp. More uh, uh, appropriately, you're probably dealing with one of Satan's underlings, uh, a demonic entity, one of the rulers, the authorities, or the power that's mentioned in the breakdown of structure demonically in Ephesians chapter 6. But certainly not Jesus Christ. So again, these guys, they take scripture, they twist it, whatever, and again, who they invariably get wrong. Jesus, how do you know that you're getting involved in a cult? Take it from the top. You, if they get outside the Bible, I don't care who they are. I don't care what degrees they got. I don't care how much math they know. I don't care how much history they know. I don't care how many Bible verses they got memorized. doesn't mean they're applying it correctly. You get outside the Bible, you're getting into a cult. But God told me. That's one of the most dangerous things you can hear from people today. right? And we talked about that before. Get outside the Bible. Don't listen. Run, run, run. Number two, guess what? It all goes downhill. They keep talking long enough, and they keep skipping around uh, in the scripture, they're going to get God wrong. Guess what? They're also going to get Jesus wrong. And man, you can get all th- kinds of things wrong in life, but don't get God wrong. Don't get Jesus wrong. Because you got the wrong Jesus, you ain't going to heaven. Right? This is serious, serious stuff. Now, let's continue on there. It says, and then they say that Jesus is considered to be the only intercessor and high priest between God and mankind and appointed by God as the king and judge of his kingdom. Okay? Well, again, that's just the tip of the iceberg. We've already dealt with this some before, but let's go and take a look quickly at some of the other false identities they have of Jesus Christ. They say that Jesus, of course, is not God, that Jesus is God's first creation, that Jesus is a created being, that Jesus was a spirit creature, again, that Jesus is supposed to be the archangel Michael, but then he turned into Jesus, then he went back to being Michael, and the three-stage thing is crazy, with all due respect. They say that Jesus uh, is the mediator only for the 144,000, which isn't even dealing with Christians, it's not even dealing with the church, certainly not Jehovah's Witnesses, it's the male Jewish evangelist in the seven-year tribulation. We dealt with that already in great detail. They say that he was not born as the Christ. He did not die on the cross. He did not physically rise from the dead. And listen, Jehovah's Witnesses actually say that they are the Christ. And I quote, 
in the book, The Divine Plan of Ages, the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, teaches that Jehovah's Witnesses, together with Jesus, constitute the Christ. What's Christ? Greek word for Christos, the anointed one, which is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word Mashiach, Messiah. So Christ, Jesus, Christ, Christos means Messiah, Jesus, Messiah. So you mean to tell me that we didn't have a complete Messiah until the Jehovah's Witnesses arrived on the scene? What about all the other people? I mean, stop and think about it. What about all the other people? They're doomed until this guy came along? You're in a cold. You're in a cold. That, there's just no way uh, that that can be true. But they'll bring up passages of Scripture because one thing that they cannot seem to stomach is the deity of Jesus Christ, right? And so they'll try to fight us with Scripture, but it's always out of context. Let me give you a couple examples. They say, well, if Jesus is God... And Jehovah's Witnesses may not be the only ones that do this. Anybody that denies the deity of Christ. These are just some common responses. But they say, well, if Jesus is God, then why did he pray to the Father? Well, because Jesus prayed to the Father because he, in his humanity, was a man under the law. And that's why the Bible teaches that Jesus isn't just God. He's what? He's man. But the Bible doesn't teach he's just man. He's what? Right? The biblical doctrine of Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, is he is fully God and fully man at the same time. And this is what these people do. This is what other cults do. This is what people deny the deity of Jesus Christ. They will always invariably focus on passages that are focusing, not denying the deity of Christ, but on this particular truth, they're focusing on the humanity of Christ. And then they ignore the passages speaking about his deity. Right? And then they or twist or contort or ignore, you know, ignore, just deny. And so they focus on the humanity passages where, hey, it said he suffered and he was hungry and stuff. Well, yeah, because he was fully man. But guess what? He's also the creator of all things. And that's why we, we, it's not an either or, it's a both and. Jesus is fully God, he's fully man. Right? And in his humanity, he's praying to the Father. That's it. It's not a denial of his deity. Right? Then they'll say this well, if Jesus is God, then why did Jesus say the Father was greater than he? Well, it's because his position in his humanity, which he did not divest his deity, but in, again, his humanity, it was different than God the Father. It was different, okay, in position, but not in his nature. Hebrews even says that Jesus was made for a little while lower than the angels. So the angels took supremacy. No, as we even saw, he's the one who created all things. We just read that passage. Right? So in his humanity, when Philippians 2 says he humbled himself, he's God. He's fully God. God himself came and died on the cross for us. Whoa. No wonder the scripture says that the angels long to look into these things. I mean, can you imagine the holy angels who've only been with God's presence ever? They didn't rebel with the one-third that went with Satan. And they're looking down at us who have sinned, myself included. We've blown it. And then God himself would send his son. He would take on Philippians 2. He would take on flesh in the form of a servant. God himself, the creator of the universe, and whom we sin against, would actually take on human form so he could die on the cross for us. No wonder the angels are going like, wow. Right? But again, they're taking passages that focus on his humanity, ignoring his deity. It's not either or. It's both and. That's what they do. They twist it. Okay? Then they say, well, wait a second. Why did Jesus ask, why do you call me good? Only God is good. So there, he's not God. No, he's, this actually is a passage where Jesus is admitting his deity. He completely twists this. Listen, Jesus said, okay, in Luke 18, that it is true that only God is good. Okay, God is the standard of good. 
right? It doesn't mean that we as mankind can't do good things, but as far as absolute pure good, the standard of what is good, it comes from God, only God, because he is holy, he is holy, he is holy, right? Okay, so flip it around. Ask the Jehovah's Witnesses, um, was Jesus good? And they would obviously have to say, yes. Well, therefore, when Jesus said only God was good, he was confirming his own deity because what he was doing was good, and you just admitted it. So he's saying that, he's saying, yeah, you're right. You know, okay, he's trying to get them to acknowledge who he is, that he's God. And that was his way of doing it. So you're saying I'm good, I'm a good teacher. Well, you realize that only God is good, fill in the blank. Guess who you're talking to? That's what he's talking about. It's actually a deity passage, but they flip it around. Then they say, well, why did Jesus say that he could only do those things that he saw the Father do? Because as God in the flesh, he was able to do the same things that God the Father would do because he's God. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's a deity passage, right? And they want to twist it and try to make it sound like uh, he's not God. Now, let's deal with the thing. Remember they said he, he didn't physically rise from the dead? It was just a spiritual? Well, let's examine that. Okay, now first of all, you're thinking, uh, they say that he rose as a spirit, Jehovah's Witnesses, Jesus, and that the material body of Jesus was taken away, they say, by God the Father, and therefore they deny the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. You say, okay, so they deny their physical resurrection. Is that a big deal? Mm, yeah. In fact, turn to somebody and go, mm, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the crux of our faith, are you kidding me? 1 Corinthians 15 is called the resurrection chapter in the Bible, right? It says this, Paul says, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also in vain. In other words, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, everything we're doing even here tonight is an absolute complete waste of time. We're still stuck on our sins. We're going straight to hell. You might as well do what the world's doing. Party it up, live it up, and die. Right? The resurrection is a serious important. Oh, and by the way, we also know, Scripture interprets Scripture, that it was a real physical resurrection. Even Jesus admitted it. Uh, John chapter 2, Jesus said that he would raise himself from the dead. What did he say? Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. I, Jesus, will raise up the temple. What's the temple? Nobody disagrees on this one, I would assume. It's his body. So Jesus admitted that his body physically, not spiritually, he was going to raise it uh, from the dead. Now, they also say that, well, Jesus only became the Messiah at his baptism. Is that true? No. I'd like to say what Bible you're reading. Uh-huh, like I've said many times before, but I know what one you're reading. It's this one, the New World Translation that you hacked, and no wonder you're messed up, with all due respect. Because it's not a translation, it's a perversion. It's a hack job on your preconceived ideas. Uh, that's not true. Let me just give you one verse. Luke 2. Right? What's it say about Jesus? For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Right there in his birth. He's the Messiah. Right? Not he didn't become the Messiah, his baptism, right? And again, they deny his deity over and over and over again. Oh, by the way, how many times in the scripture does Jesus flatly declare that he himself is God? Right? In fact, by the way, why did the Jewish people want to kill him? Because of that very claim that he is God, right? In fact, the Bible says that Jesus is prayed to, Acts chapter 7. Jesus is worshipped, Matthew chapter 2. Jesus is called God, John 20. Thomas goes up to him and he says, Unless I see the nail prints in you know, his hands and the fear in his side, right? I won't go, you know, we call him Doubting Thomas. I always like to remind this, as if we never doubt God. Because we always rap on him, don't we? Oh, how can he do that? Oh, what a crazy, are you kidding me? How many times a day do we do that to God? 
I didn't know God was going to make you How am I going to do that? What's that stout? I'm getting ready to preach on that on Sunday, by the way. That's the next attack from the evil one. Started in Genesis chapter 3. Same tactic he uses today. Uh, but that's for Sunday, Lord. All right, but no, it's the same thing. Uh, he, so what did he say? Jesus appears, shows him, hey, listen, put your hands. Come on. It's me. Physical, by the way. Right? Okay, he wasn't spiritual. He even ate fish with the people. Remember that? With the disciples? I mean, was he, spirit, was, he like, was he like translucent, like a jellyfish? And he took a bite of the fish and went, because he's physical, right? A physical resurrection uh, that we had. But what did he say? What was his response? My Lord, my God. How much more blunt do you got to get than that? Who's he talking to? He's talking to Jesus. Jesus said that he um, is the only one who reveals the Father. In other words, you want to see the Father, who do you look at? Right? Jesus, right? Uh, that uh, to know the Father is to, to know Jesus and vice versa. Uh, that he is God. Uh, Stephen, Acts 7, he, while full of the Holy Spirit, who is God also as well, the third person of the Trinity, he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Only God can receive a spirit. So who, who, he prayed that right. And he was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, clearly there. Jesus, again, was worshipped. Uh, and those who, Matthew 14, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, you are certainly God's son. Now, remember that passage? That is so cool when you tear that apart in the Greek. I've talked about this before. But I mean, it's a big, major storm. And, uh, and it ain't like they had nice, big, giant houseboats. Wrong. You know, I mean, they, those boats over there, they weren't the biggest things in the world. And so it doesn't take much. to. And then you got it full of all these guys. It ain't like there's two people, right? So you got a lot of people in this little boat, and here comes a storm. It don't take much, and they're freaking out, right, over there. And, of course, Jesus, what's he doing? He's freaking out, man. He's full of doubt, too. No, he's not, right? <laughs> he's in the back of the boat. He's sleeping, right? <sighs> right, getting some rest, much-needed rest, right, in his humanity, by the way, right? Okay, and uh, so what happens? He gets up. He rebukes the wind and the waves. Now, you don't get it until you understand the Greek. And the Greek, it, it, could you imagine just a, a Lake Mead over here? Just, I mean, in a crazy tempest, man. I mean, there's big, giant swells. And then instantaneously, as soon as these words come out of the mouth, and he rebukes the wind and the waves, that fast. It's not like, it, boy, it took five minutes and we stopped rocking and eventually whatever. The Greek is, it went, no wonder these people freaked out. Also, he's walking on water. Uh, the, the Greek word, if I remember right, that there, they says it, and he thought that he was a spirit. I think it's phantasmos, which means like a, a ghost, a spirit looking. And it says, and, and they, they screamed. Are you, it's like shrieking. It's like little girl screams. That's what they're doing. They're freaking out. He's God. He created the creation. He walks on water. He calms it instantly. He is God in the flesh over and over again. So they what? They worshiped him. Now, Jesus, oh, no, no, I'm only the archangel Michael. And I'm being consistent with the scripture. The Bible says that angels are not to be worshipped. <laughs> no, he didn't say that because he's God. Right? So how do you explain uh, that one? Okay. Matthew 28. And behold, Jesus met them after the resurrection, greeted them. They came up to him, took a hold of his feet, and worshipped him. And then you've got to ask yourself, is just a mere man, as you want to paint him, and again, you're taking it out of context. You just focus on his humanity. You deny his deity, but the scripture teaches both. Is a mere man sufficient uh, sacrifice for all of our sins? If Jesus was just a mere man, what would he have inherited like the rest of us? Sin. If Jesus had sinned, what's the problem with that? He would not have been the perfect sacrifice. And if he wasn't the perfect sacrifice, then guess what? He ain't rising from the dead, right? Because sin 
keeps you down. Death has a hold on you because of the penalty of sin. The wages of sin is death. But guess what? That's why he had to rise from the grave because he didn't have any sin. Death could not handle him, hold him, had no sway over him. He defeated death, right? But if Jesus is just a mere man, is it able uh, to save us? No. And that's the importance of maintaining what the scripture teaches. Yes, he's fully man, but he's also fully God. He's fully man because God in his deity cannot die. But we needed somebody to die to be the sacrifice for our sins, the substitutionary atonement. The the lamb led to the slaughter, right? So Jesus had to be fully man but sinless to be the perfect sacrifice because he can die. But of course, as God He continues to live on and is the only one who can live the perfect life. If somebody outside the realm of man did not enter into the realm of man, we're doomed. He's fully God, fully man, okay? And so that's what you got to ask him. Okay, how can anybody be saved? God himself must stand in place of his people and bear the divine wrath on their behalf. Only he is worthy. Only he is able. Only he is good enough. Only Jesus could die for all sins because Jesus is God. And man at the same time the bible says he's called the son of god jesus he's sinless he knew all things he gives eternal life and the fullness of the deity dwells within him and again you can get about as blunt and this is why the jewish leaders of the time they were they wanted to kill him why because john chapter 8 jesus said before abraham was i am what's he quoting he's quoting exodus 3 which is the exact name that God gave for the people to know. The a divine name, I am. Tell them that I am God sent you. And that's why you look at the context, not just of that verse. When he said it, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. You better believe it, that the Jewish people knew exactly what he was referring to. Here, I'm God. And again, keep reading what they want to do next. They wanted to kill him. Because, quote, here's a man claiming to be equal uh, with God. Again, John chapter 10, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Now, what is this? Is this just some weird aberration they came up with? No. What did Solomon say? There's nothing new under the sun, right? You got somebody comes up with some new one. Yeah, it's probably already been there before. And how many guys have learned that? You come up with some nifty idea. Oh, I got to We could patent this. We'll make a million bucks. If you ever took that next step and uh, thought that, you know, hey, uh, I think I'll try it. What do you find out? Yeah, somebody patented that in 1953. Man, Johnny come lately again, right? And right, and uh, actually, I had that happen to me one time. Did you know I had a brilliant idea one time? No, I'm serious. I'll put this on tape. I thought it was brilliant. A little too late, though. Believe it or not, I had this. I woke up. I said, hey, wait a second. Everybody's doing these apps, right? Wouldn't that be cool if you could do an app, right? Because everybody's all about self, selfies, self-lovers of self. That's a sign we're in the last days, right? You ever thought about that, selfies? right? Oh boy, that'll preach, right? That's fulfillment of Bible prophecy, but it's self, self, and everybody's self, and everybody's taking selfies, picture, picture, picture. Well, what's another thing that people would love to have? A mirror. So wouldn't it be cool if you could have an app you could download, and it's all LCD, and I know a little bit about electronics, and then you could hit it, and it turns your, uh, into a reflective surface, like a mirror. Doesn't that sound like something, right? Yeah, somebody already did it. But anyway, let's move on. I got excited for a day. <laughs> Anyway, so where are they getting this from, right? Nothing new under the sun. Believe it or not, they just resurrected an old-fashioned teaching that the church had to deal with in the early church. And it came from this guy. uh, It's called Arianism. 
okay, Arianism, and it's basically Jehovah's Witnesses uh, in the original. And Arian uh, was the guy who invented that said that Jesus is not equal to the Father by nature. He's just the first creation of God. Well, what's that sound like? That's Jehovah's Witnesses. This was in, he died in 336 AD. So this is nothing new. The church has already had to deal with this, right? It's an old-fashioned false teaching. It continues on through the Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, let me give you a break. Now, uh, the church already dealt with this, and the church dealt with this in a council. And the council was called Nicaea, okay, in 325 AD. So when did the church put this to rest, this false teaching technically from Jehovah's Witnesses? You do the math? Long time ago. Okay, <laughs> right? Now listen, there were 318 bishops from the east. A few came from the west to this council. All right, the Arians, basically old-fashioned Jehovah's Witnesses, they presented their statement of faith, which, quote, flatly denied the deity of Christ, and it literally shocked the people there. Okay, as a result, and I quote, it was roundly rejected, right? And it was commanded that the writings of Arius be burned. I had the privilege one time of uh, Jehovah's Witnesses knocking on my door. And uh, it was two girls. And uh, I, you know what was funny? I was uh, a week and a half off a of break from uh, Bible college. And the longest break we'd ever have at a, at a time was two. And so, man, was, I hadn't been in Bible college surrounded by everybody. And it was, all, it was awesome being around. Everybody's on fire for Jesus. And you know, ooh, what an environment to be on, learning and stuff like that. And man, after about a week and a half, I felt like I was about like a spiritual stump. And I was sitting there. I kid you not. I'm on the kitchen counter. Oh, God, I feel so spiritually weak. I'm just, oh, you know, and, and stuff. And, and obviously, I'm sitting there praying that, oh, God, I just don't feel like I'm doing anything for you. And nah, 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 nah. here comes two Jehovah's Witnesses, right? These right. And of course, they start attacking what? The deity of Jesus Christ, right? And so then we go back to, well, then why did Jesus forgive sins? I'd point out. Because only God forgives sins. Right? And Because they're going off their little script thing, right? And so I'm trying to get them off track, right? With the Bible, right? And then again, why was he worshipped? Only God could be worshipped, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then this, the one girl, she pulls out her, what she thought was the, got you, ha, 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 moment. And she says, well, that may be what your Bible says, but the early church, actually, there was a conspiracy, and, uh, and she mentioned the Council of Nicaea. Oh, I, my heart leapt for joy, because a week and a half ago, guess what I just finished? My final was on church history A, which dealt with what? I was ripping off every council man there was, Council of Nicaea 25, on down the list, right? And I was ripping out, and she was like... And it says, oh, and by the way, they did not deny the deity of Jesus Christ. There was no conspiracy. They dealt with this. And then, then I started going, and I got some questions about your founding. Can we talk about that? And I invited him to come back, but uh, I don't know if I got the, the, the bloody X on the door or something. Uh, but never saw him ever again. Right? So don't fall for this baloney when people say, oh, yeah. But see, the, I'm telling the count. And always, it always seems to be this first big major council. Nicaea on 325. They had this. No. They flat out said basically burn that stuff. The Council of Nicaea overwhelmingly affirmed the deity and eternality of Jesus Christ, the relationship between the Father and the Son as one substance, it affirmed the Trinity as the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They were listed as co-equal and co-eternal persons. That's what the council really dealt with. Okay? The New Testament teaches Jesus is Messiah. He is to be worshipped. He is co-equal with God. The New Testament forbids worship of angels, but commands worship of Jesus. How do you explain that one? 
if you think he's an archangel, Archangel Michael. Paul says that uh, in uh, Christ, the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, uh, and that he is the only one to whom we must pray for salvation. We don't pray to angels for salvation. That Jesus is Lord over all, Romans 9, and God our Savior. Okay, that's Paul. John also continues with the theme of Jesus' divinity, that he is the source of all light. He is the way, the truth, and life. He is sovereign. He's the Son of God. Hebrews reveals the deity of Jesus, that he is the object of our faith, hope, and love. And so, again, the Scripture overwhelmingly deals with the deity of Jesus Christ. And again, it's not just the deity of Christ. The Bible teaches both at the same time. He's fully man, but he's fully God. What do the Jehovah's Witnesses do? What do the cults do? They focus on the humanity, then they ignore these passages and or twist them. But Jesus is fully God, fully man. And again, unfortunately, even though the church dealt with this, what was the code word there, Mary? Long time ago, right? Unfortunately, people don't know their Bible. They don't even know the church history. And here comes the same line from Satan. He attacked Jesus and who he is early on. Why? Because you get the wrong Jesus, what? He ain't going to heaven, right? Attacked him early on. They're doing it again. All he did was repackage it. With all due respect, he raised up these guys and started Arianism all over again, all right? Now, let's continue on. The nature of man, that's the next thing they get wrong, okay? The nature of man. So again, notice it spills downhill. You get the authority wrong. You do your hack job. You listen to men and a group of men over God, you're always going to go downhill. You get the nature of God, the Trinity wrong. You get Jesus wrong. You also get man and certainly the afterlife wrong. Let's see what they say. Jehovah's Witnesses believe that the spirit or life force that God gives us at our birth departs at death. There is no conscious existence at death. What? You just... Okay. They believe that there is no consciousness after death. So is that what the Bible teaches? That when you die, you just poof, go out of existence. Not at all, not even close. In fact, speaking of the resurrection, okay, how do you reconcile this? What is the resurrection? You come back to life with a real physical body, a resurrected body. If we die right now, we get a spiritual body. But you're coming back. You don't go poof, right? There's another false teaching out there that's called soul sleep, right? That they say, you know, it says right there, and they fell asleep. Well, that's a euphemism for they died, Right? So, because guess what? When they take their last breath, it looks like they're what? That's all it is, right? The scripture is very clear. But let's take a look at that. According to the Watchtower, okay, when you die, you literally cease to exist. Judgment day uh, only, on judgment day, only faithful, where it's a works-based salvation, faithful Jehovah's Witnesses will be resurrected to life and get to come back in, on paradise earth, their version of the millennium, etc. whatever. The rest of mankind, you and I will be, annihilated okay and again this is the false teaching called annihilationism that you just cease to be you're annihilated right and uh made to not exist with no eternal punishment in a fiery hell this is the same things we saw before other cults do they the mormons do with their second chance with being baptized in the mormons uh baptism ceremony even after a person's dead, they baptize the dead. Remember they took that passage out of context? Because, I mean, that's just way too harsh for God to really send people to hell forever and ever. So at least here they're going to have a second chance. And same thing with here. It isn't just they say that when you die, poof, but only those who are faithful. Jehovah's Witnesses. Get to unpoof. I'll get to that in a second. That's illogical. Is it really you? But anyway, uh, uh, but the rest of us, we don't go to hell because that's too harsh. You just... Poof. So it's annihilationism slash denial of a literal hell. All right? 
Well, that contradicts what the Bible says. Turn to someone and say, shocker. Okay, because they're listening to the hack job. They're following men, not what God has to say. What's the Bible say? 2 Corinthians 5a. We are of good courage, I say, rather to be absent from the body, to be poof. No, here's our great hope. I'm going to be annihilated. <laughs> no, we are absent from the body to be at home with the Lord. Oh, by the way, where's Jesus? In heaven, at the right hand of the Father at this time. So when we die today, okay, where are we going? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. That's what the Bible says. We don't go poof, right? Second Corinthians 12, I know a man, Paul says to you 14 years ago, whether in the body, I don't know, or out of the body, I don't know. God knows such man was caught up to poof. No, to the third heaven, the third heaven, the dwelling place of God. We saw urnas in the Greek, right, means heavens, and it's defined by the context, right? First heavens is where the birds fly, where they fly, atmosphere, right? Second heavens where the stars are, right? Where's that? That's space, right? The third heaven where this person's caught up, probably Paul, obviously, uh, where was the actual dwelling place of God the Father, heaven, okay? And that's something let's talk about. But you don't go poof, okay? The Bible teaches that we have an existence away uh, once we die, we continue on after uh, death. And then Jesus said this. He said, John 6, uh, 6, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. I myself will poof Him on the last day. No, I will raise Him up on the last day. Paul says, Romans 8, But this, if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, Amen? Does He dwell in you? He has to. In fact, if He isn't in you, the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian, Paul says. The moment you get saved, bang, you're, that's God's parent. Uh, guarantee that you're going to poof. No, that you're getting to heaven, right? He says he uh, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Daniel chapter 12, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Also, notice there was two options there. Some go up, some go down, all right? Paul says, for me to live is, uh, is to Christ, to die is gain. He said, I am hard-pressed in both directions. I got the desire to depart and be with Christ because that's very much better. Yet to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And again, Jesus, uh, Luke 23, and he said to him, truly I say to you, today, the thief on the cross, replacing your faith in me, you're right here next to me on the cross, suffering. You placed your faith in me. I'm going to reward you with poof. No, he didn't say poof. What did he say? You will be with me in paradise. Right? So again, what Bible are you reading? But again, guess what? They're not reading the Bible. Their so-called Bible is a hack job. Okay? But is annihilationism true? Is there really no hell and do people just poof? No. Now, we know that scripturally uh, by certain phrases the scripture uses. It's just common sense. Now, one of them is a phrase... That's used over and over again in the scripture. And it rhymes with forever and ever. Okay? Gee, I think that might be a code word for a long time. Right? That's anti-poof for those of you hooked on Southern Greek. Right? Now, now here's the, the common sense. If you use it to imply eternality in one aspect, then you have to be consistent when it's applied in another aspect, including the afterlife. Let me give you an example. God is eternal. Can we agree on that? I would think even Jehovah's Witnesses would agree on that. Uh, at least even God and the Father, right? And that's what the Bible says. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 
Bible also says, and that's 1 Timothy 1, Revelation 5, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So guess what? He's eternal. That phrase there, when you see the phrase forever and ever, what's it really mean? Eternal. Well, guess what? It's applied to hell. Right? Uh, Revelation 14, and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. That means eternal. And they have no rest day or night, those who worship the beast in his image, whoever receives the mark of his name. Uh, Revelation 19, and the second time they said, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. That's eternal. Right? And one more, Revelation 20, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Oh, by the way, if annihilationism is true, we know at the end of the seven-year tribulation, the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire, right? So fast forward to the end of Revelation, right? And then the devil, after a thousand years, because this is after a thousand years of millennial kingdom, because that happens at the end of seven-year tribulation, then you got the millennial kingdom, then here comes the great white throne judgment, and then that's when the devil's in there. So a thousand years has passed, the devil's in there. It says what? Where the beast and the false prophet poofed a thousand years earlier. No, it's where they are. They've been in there for a thousand years. Well, that's not poof, right? It's crazy. It's a complete denial of the scripture. Forever and ever is a phrase used of the glory of God that it will never, ever cease, right? The same phrase is used to speak of the torment of people in hell. They will also likewise uh, never cease as well. Jesus said, then they, in Matthew 25, will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now, that's something that we bank on, right? Eternal life. How long do we get to be in heaven? Nobody sneezes at that, right? In one verse, in the exact same verse, spoken from Jesus, he uses the same phrase to speak of eternal life, but also eternal punishment. So if we're going to sit here and say, heaven, everybody knows this, lasts forever, then you have to be consistent and say, guess what? If you choose not to go there, you're going to be punished forever. That's what the scripture teaches. And by the way, annihilationism cannot be true because the Bible says that hell is a place of punishment. Annihilationism, if you just went poof, that's a release from punishment. So you mix that up too. On top of that, it's impossible. Again, once you take one verse, you take it out of context, the wrong meaning, you're going to make the rest of the Bible start to fall apart. Well, guess what? If the Bible seems to start to seemingly fall apart, it ain't the Bible. It's man tweaking with it. And it's a sign that you're reading into the Bible or you hack the Bible into what you want it to say. And that's man's hands over all the day long. And that's going to eventually start falling apart. You let the Bible speak out to you what it says. That's what we're supposed to do, right? Now, uh, some people will say, well, uh, people can't really be in, people who support annihilationism, they'll say, well, uh, people can't really be uh, in uh, uh, torment forever because the Bible talks about a lake of fire. And if people were cast into a lake of fire, uh, technically, they wouldn't last very long because, poof, they'd be all burned up. You're misunderstanding the afterlife and the condition of the body. Right? You now, you younger folks, you ain't going to get this one. But the older you get, you know, there's a really cool truth in the scripture. And it goes like this When we die, we're going to get a new body. And it ain't just a cool working body. Yeah, hallelujah, praise God. Let's close in prayer. 
on that. <laughs> we get a new body, and it ain't just a new one. It's prime time all the time. No aches, no pains, no wrinkles, no crinkles, none of that stuff, man. It's awesome, right? You don't have to eat uh, bran, tofu, or none of that stuff anymore. Chicken's gone for good, right? Low-fat tables, get them out of here, right? Eat what you So, right, but we get a new body, right? Hey, get, why? Because that is what the Scripture calls a resurrected body. It's a special body prepared by God without sin, specially made to exist for how long? Guess what? The redeemed not only get a specially made body, a new body from God for their condition of eternal life to enjoy heaven. Guess what? The lost also get an eternal body prepared for them. So guess what? You can be chucked into a lake of fire, but your body will not be consumed. You won't go poof. And that's the seriousness and the scariness of the reality uh, of hell. Uh, other people say, well, listen, um, um, hell forever is just, you know, that's just, that's just overkill. You know, uh, don't you think it's overkill for God? You know, people that on average, they live 70 years old or, or longer and, and yeah, they sinned and all, but you, are you serious? You're going to punish them for all eternity? Uh, yeah, because only an eternal punishment is befitting for crimes committed against an eternal God. That's how fearful a standard the holiness of God is. That's why we should be so incredibly excited about God coming here and whom we have offended and sinned against and rebelled against and rejected and spit and mocked upon and blasphemed, myself included, and he still died on the cross? What's the scripture say? Romans 5, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And yet we deserve to go to that place. That is not unjust. In fact, David, he committed the sins of adultery and murder, and yet what did he say? Against you, God, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Well, wait a second. David technically sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah, so how can he claim that he only sinned against God? Because David understood that all sin is ultimately against who? It's against God, okay? It's not a matter of the length of time we sin, but the character of God in whom we sin against. And folks, that's actually a big issue. Have you ever thought about our rebellion? What that must be like in the eyes of God? And again, the scripture says the angels long to look at these things. The holy angels, the two-thirds that stay with God. I mean, they got to be blown away. Like, How can you have mercy on those people? They deserve to burn in hell forever. They've impugned your holiness. Your... How, could you, how could you care about them? How could you even give them a way out? They what? But listen, one guy, he puts it this way. He says, listen, here stands God, God, on the day of creation. And he looks at the stars. And he says, all you stars, move yourself into to this place. And, and you start in this order. And you, you move in a circle. And, and, and you move exactly as I tell you until I give you another word. And the stars obey him. And then he says, planets, pick yourself up and whirl and make this formation of my command until I give you another word. And they obey him. He looks at the mountains, he says, be lifted up, and they obey. He tells the valleys, be cast down, and they obey. He looks at the seas, and he says, you will come this far, no more, and the seas obey. And then he looks at us and say, come, and we say, no. Wow. You wonder why we dealt seven weeks on the holiness of God? You just don't hear about that anymore. Oh, by the way, uh, hell was not originally created for mankind. God is not being unjust at all. Oh, 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 and by the way, 
even though he'd be completely just for sending every one of us to hell with no way out. He made a way out. Do you understand that? He didn't have to. He's given us a way out. Oh, and by the way, it's all paid for. You just got to take the ticket. And it's real. It's 100% complete. And even after you take the ticket and you still blow it, myself included, you're still going. You just got to take it. Hell was never designed for mankind. But if you don't want to take his gracious offer to escape that, but you're going to go. Jesus said that in Matthew 25, 41. Then the king will say to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. Hell was originally created for the devil and his demons. It was not for mankind. But since we have rebelled like the devil and his demons and we've rejected God's merciful way out, then to hell you will go. We'll close with this. This is my favorite graphic stories of, of what God's doing. He says, think of, think of a moment of what the devil has done. Right? Think, think of what he's done. How he's messed everything up. Mankind, all the sin, the, the murder, the, the torment, the, the fighting, the strife, the wars, the stealing, the, name a sin. Think of what he's done. And if you could design, if you could design a place to make him pay for what he's done, what he's done in your life, the lives around you throughout all human history, what kind of a place would you design for him? Right? Well, God has designed such a place. It's called hell. Right? And hell was originally designed by God to make the devil pay for bringing evil and rebellion into his creation. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 25. It was a place where God's anger, his rage, his wrath would go uncut, unbridled, uncensored. It was designed with the devil in mind, not for people. But hell does not discriminate between a person and a demon. It's like a wood chipper that you throw big logs and branches into and grinds them up into a mulch. That's what hell is. It's God's divine wood chipper. Nobody cringes when they see a log ground up. But imagine, listen, if somebody grabbed a log and as they threw it in there, a piece of the limb grabbed their pants and started to pull them in, what would you do? Would you not grab them? Would you not pull on them? Would you not scream, turn it off, turn the machine off? Why? Because the chipper, it wasn't designed for grinding human, but the chipper doesn't care if it's a human or a log or a rock or a stone. It's designed to crush. And so it is with hell. It doesn't care if it's a demon or a human. It's designed to crush and destroy and to heap pain and suffering and agony on rebellious angels, including Satan, who dare to rebel against God. There is no escape. There's no turning back. They are doomed. And so it is with anyone who has the audacity to rebel against God, human or devil. The divine wood chipper is there to suck them in. Wow. And finally, I'll say this. See, people say, oh, they just believe in annihilationism and deny hell. No, no, no. You know what you do? You know what you just did on top of that? It's not only a false teaching. You cheapen what Jesus did on the cross. The Bible says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He came, 1 Corinthians 15 says, and defeated death. He came to rescue us from the penalty of our sin. What's the penalty of sin? You deserve to die and go to the divine wood chipper. And when you say, oh, well, your biggest concern is poof, you cheapen the mercy and the love and the fantastic 
amazing work of Jesus' death on the cross. Because hell should scare you. And the more you understand the holiness of God and what we rightly deserve for impugning the holiness of God, i.e. hell, oh boy, the cross is sweeter and sweeter and sweeter. Amen? But if you take away that punishment, you're not aiding God. You're cheapening what God has done for us. Oh, and by the way, you're taking the sting out of your witness to the lost. I don't know about you, but remember before you got saved, you didn't like hearing the word hell. See, if somebody said that to you, man, you better get saved, man, you're going to go to hell. You know, you didn't like it, you know, because hell is supposed to be scary. Hell is scary. Hell's supposed to sting. But if you do away with that, you cheapen the cross of Christ, you take away that sting. People need to know that this is serious. You better get saved, and you better get saved now. Because today could be your last day, your last breath, and if Christ Jesus is not in your heart, if you've not accepted him as your Savior through the work that he has done for us on the cross, you're going to go to hell. It takes away that motivation, doesn't it? It takes away that healthy fear that should lead them to repentance. That's what Jehovah's Witnesses do. Lord will, next time we are actually, I'm hoping, going to finish up our study. And we're going to deal with their means of salvation. It is not uh, through uh, grace. It is a means of works. We'll get into that in clearly detail. And then finally finish up, Lord willing, on how to witness to the witness. And then Lord willing, following that, the, the next time after that, we are going to, I'm going to share a video, like I did with the, the previous couple studies. And this is all by former Jehovah's Witnesses. And so we'll take one study, do a video study, just so you can see, it's not just me. These are really what they believe and what they do and what they teach and the aberrant beliefs from former Jehovah's Witnesses coming out of that. Then after that, Lord willing, for still alive, still here, uh, we're going to get into the next study on Seventh-day Adventists. Okay? And uh, that's very much needed because guess where, again, Mr. Russell was influenced. Seventh-day Adventists, and they also teach a lot of the same false doctrine. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness, or the wrong things that we have done, have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin, or unholiness, uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy, we're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy 
God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how... Uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word. Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay, and folks, let's be honest, we've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you, that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind, he knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. 
And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.